Welcome to Unity Talks, where the hiring experts of Dallas-based recruiting firm Unity Search engage in lively discussion with successful business leaders to dissect their careers and how they got to where they are today, the obstacles overcome to reach their success, and steps they've taken to stay at the top of their respective fields. So listen in as we provide you with the thought-provoking conversation and ideas that keep industries moving forward. And welcome back to another edition of the Unity Talks podcast. I'm your host, David Cathy, where we interview on this podcast other leaders from all around DFW, and they're in the fields of accounting, finance, tax, and information technology. And people ask, why are they in those fields? Why do you pick those fields? Well, that's what we focus on. So we focus on small business owners. We focus on mid-sized companies, large companies. As long as you're in those fields, that's usually who our guest is going to be. And today, we have a fantastic guest. We have Amanda Cousins, who is the CFO and Chief Compliance Officer of P10 Inc. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Glad to be here, thank you for having me. Awesome, okay, so I always start out the show this way. Why don't you give us like a two minute infomercial on what P10 Holdings is, does, what kind of business is this? Um, So P10 is a um, New York Stock Exchange uh, publicly traded company. We're about a $22 billion asset manager. We have affiliates that are in private equity, private credit, venture capital, venture debt, uh, NAV lending, and GP stakes. Yeah, Yeah. all in the uh, lower middle market, middle market sector across the United States. And what's so cool about it, as I began to learn about your background and talk to you, is you actually took them to the New York Stock Exchange from a private company to a public company, correct? Yes, we were we were technically uh, on the OTC market. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, but it was a, a full IPO process to the New York Stock Exchange. That's right. Yeah. That's awesome. What an experience that is. It's a lot of work. Ex- it was a lot of work. Yes. That is like a crash course. But your career was set up. All the work you've done in your career since you graduated, and even while we're, you were going to school, which we'll touch on, mm-hmm. that set you up for this success. Yes, it did. That's right. That's awesome. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your background. Let's level set with the audience about, you know, okay, where does Amanda come from and what maybe trials and tribulations? How did she get in that seat? Because there are a lot of people who are beginning their career and their eyes are on a CFO seat. And particularly, there's a lot of females that would love to get into that CFO seat. I'm preferential to that. My audience has heard me say this a lot. I'm surrounded by them. I've got a wife and two girls, so I am a girl champion. And, you know, the path to that CFO suite has uh, become more and more important from a Mm -hmm. diversity standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so we'll probably touch on that as we go through. But you didn't start out thinking you were going to be in finance or do accounting. You started out with a different objective. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes, my mom uh, was an operating room nurse for a very long time. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I grew up watching surgeries with her um, as a kid. And so, yeah, I started school as a nursing major. I wanted to be a CRNA. So, very different from where I ended up. Very different. Two yeah. of mine are nurses, and I can tell you they would not do well in a seat such as yours. <laughs> you know, they want to interact with patients. It's so interesting. You're like, oh, yeah, I grew up watching surgeries. Like, blood doesn't scare me. It's kind of cool and interesting. Whereas (laughs) most people are like, you're going to have to hold me up. Yeah. Yeah. And that just wasn't in the cards for you. No, no. It was, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So what 
Well, let's let's talk about this. Uh, what made you change? Like, how did you go from? Because it's an interesting story. What you were doing to help put yourself through school? How mm -hmm. did you go from I'm going to be a nurse to I'm an accountant. I have a CPA, and fast forward, I'm going to be a CFO. Yeah. Uh, so I started school at Texas A&M and Corpus Christi. Um, I graduated from high school early, so my parents really wanted me at a smaller college. So I started uh, at the school that they're known as the Islanders. So it's literally a, a small school on an island, um, but they had a great nursing program. So I started school there. Uh, I grew up in Fort Worth, though, really in the city. And um, so after being on the island for about a year, I decided I wanted to move back to a big city. So I looked into transferring to the University of Houston and um, they also had a good nursing program. And so I uh, made that switch my parents were a bit unhappy <laughs> that I was moving back to a big city. And so uh, there's a bit of a story there, but, um, but ultimately I ended up getting a part-time job and um, basically putting myself through school. I found a job at a CPA firm that had a college tuition reimbursement program and um, started, they hired me as a receptionist, but uh, very quickly moved into doing bookkeeping for their clients. And then uh, by the time I was out of uh, school, I was auditing public companies, new partnership and corporate tax. I was able to do a lot of different things while I was in school. It was kind of an um, internship on steroids. So yeah, yeah, that sounds like, how crazy is that? I mean, first off, uh, Fort Worth to an island. I have not been to the school, but I've seen the school. That's mm -hmm. one of the advertising pictures because it's so beautiful. It really is yeah. like on a little island. Yeah. And that's so cool to Houston, mm -hmm. right? So giant, yeah, comparatively. Giant. <laughs> um, but it's so interesting that I, first off, I love the fact that you put yourself through school. I think that's great. Like you know, there's something about going through a struggle, which that can be a little bit of a struggle. Like, oh, oh my gosh, it's really difficult. I um, I worked, you know, quite. I started out part time, and I just kept taking on more. I was mm -hmm. interested in everything I was learning. So um, the CPA that I worked for gave me a lot of different things and a lot of different opportunities. And so yeah, I ended up working a lot and um, you know bouncing back and forth between school and the office. And it definitely was not. I started out as sort of I'll say a typical uh, college sorority girl mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, at at Anim and Corpus. And then um, yeah, it was I. Quickly transitioned. Quickly transitioned to being a very much an adult. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, there's something about going through the struggle. It's the struggle makes it sweeter. Yeah. You know, because you learn so much and mm -hmm. you gain so many different values as opposed to, like, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I went to school and I partied the whole time. That wasn't my experience either. <laughs> um, but there's something so sweet. Like, I heard a speaker say just yesterday morning, um, the scrapes and scars really bless you later on in life yeah. when you go through those uh, challenging situations. And so I really think that's great. And then can you imagine uh, you're a CPA firm owner and you hire someone for a receptionist and next thing you know, you're like, hey, you want to come learn QuickBooks? Like you seem to pick up things really quickly. Right. What do you think he saw in he, she saw in you in that moment to just quickly say, I'm transitioning her to add value to our clients and our company? <clears throat> well, I would say one is um, maturity. Um, he was, you know, willing to put me in front of his clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, I was maybe 19. 
So I think he saw sort of maturity and the ability to have some presence, um, you yeah. know, in front of his clients. And I think uh, certainly work ethic. Yeah. And I think all along my work ethic is um, work ethic and not being afraid to try new things. Okay, so those are two great qualities and characteristics. So work ethic, is that something mom and dad passed down to you? Is it oh, just yeah. something that's in it is? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, both of my parents worked very hard. Okay, yeah. that's good. Yeah, and then, um, and then you just kind of bleed that into your life. That's who you became, right? The maturity, the not being afraid to try something new. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're looking at people for your team or you're mentoring someone who's young in their career and maybe they're still going through college or maybe they just got graduated, are there any, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're looking for work ethic and you're trying to identify those things. Right. Those can be really hard to identify. Like how do you, do you have any tips or tricks on how you identify and narrow down like, man, I really think they have a strong work ethic. I think you can um, you can look at what they've done so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can uh, you know were they willing to um, you know work in some capacity while they were in school? Um, did they help their parents with their family business, or is there some you know? Or and it could be sports related. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be work. It can be you know were they part of a sports team where you know that they had to have fantastic work ethic to to to, you know, move forward in what yeah. they were doing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love pausing on that for a second because that's so critical and important. We actually have a couple of clients who, um, when they're hiring, they only hire, you know, people from a recruiting firm that are, you know, one, two, three, four years of experience. Um, they don't really have to hire managers and assistant controllers because people don't leave the organization at that level. So they're looking for recruiters to bring talent in at that younger level. And one of the things they've been very clear about with us is we want to see their resume. We place value on the resume. We want to see a good education. We want to see good grades and all that stuff. But the most important thing that we want to see on the resume is their extracurricular activity involvement. Right. If they just went to school and it was like, you go to school, well, yeah, their GPA should be a 3.75 or above because they had no other responsibilities. Right. But if they had a 3.75 or a 3.5 or whatever their requirement is Mm -hmm. and they were putting themselves through school or they were a student athlete or they were the president of some sorority or fraternity or something. Right, some kind of leadership quality. That's what we want because they're going to bring that to the table every single day and they place, that's the most important value they place on, you know, and that aligns with exactly what you're saying. So recommendation for people who are, graduating or are coming to that point in time or climbing in their career, make sure you highlight those things. And when, when hiring managers ask you about that stuff, that's important to highlight in your career because that shows that you went above and beyond what I would argue most students are doing uh, in their college career at this point in time. So I appreciate you bringing that up. That's yeah. really good. Okay, so let's talk about, and we're going to go through this really quickly because the majority of your career, I I asked you this right before we got in here was, you know, uh, public accounting, family office, which when you're in a family office, it's a lot of managing assets and their investments and reporting back to the family on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then non-family office, again, it's a lot of investment asset management 
Um, if there was a twist to anything, it probably focus a little bit more on oil and gas than anything else, but it's a right. pretty broad structure. Mm -hmm. um, so take, take me quickly through, like, how did you, small public, large public, reporting SEC to family office, to asset management, to CFO in your last two roles? That's um, quick and that's diverse. Tell us a little bit how you feel like you managed through that. Sure. I mean, I think um, it, I'd love to say that I had this all planned out, <laughs> <laughs> but I think along the way I had really great mentors, um, made really great connections. I focused my entire career, you know, on networking. Um, and I, I think all of that's really important and helped me along the way for sure. Um, and of course, Again, work ethic. Um, I probably have raised a few eyebrows um, with just some of the job changes because I think, you know, it's there was, at, especially when I started my career, there was still an expectation that you go work for a company and you stay for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, but for me, I really looked for opportunity and, um, and you know, really took it. I mean, I, I left Grant Thornton as an audit manager I was, um, my clients were public companies in the energy and financial services sector primarily. And I took my first uh, controller role outside of that for an energy investment bank. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was sort of natural progression there. And I stayed for two years and it's an amazing firm and I, I loved it, but um, I had an opportunity to uh, be a director of SEC reporting for a publicly traded asset manager. That opportunity came my way from a, uh, a audit partner at Grant Thornton, mm. and so I took it, and it was really tough. It, uh, we went through um, a lot of acquisitions and dispositions, and ultimately we were preparing the company to go through a take private. So I stayed through that transition, um, and then went to take what I thought might be a bit of a break to go mm. to a family office, although it was a very large family office, and so. Um, from there, I uh, had an opportunity for my first CFO role, and, and that was with, with White Deer, with an energy mm -hmm. private equity fund. And uh, that is something that I had really wanted to do since I worked in, you know, in my controller role. And so again, I took that opportunity and worked with them for a while. Um, and then from there, worked as a venture capital uh, CFO for multiple venture capital firms, which was really interesting and a lot of fun. Um, and then from that point, I decided to take another full-time CFO role as an energy fund uh, CFO. Stayed with that group for a few years, and then uh, P10, the opportunity to take P10 public came along, yeah. and it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. Yeah. You know what's so interesting? So there was a... a I would refer to as a friend, um, VP of accounting that was sitting in that chair probably two months ago, Linda Jackson. Um, her company has grown significantly, uh, <coughs> Dental One Partners. Um, they were on the Inc. 5000 and like the top 20 of the oh, Inc. Wow. 5000. And uh, she said the exact same thing, pausing on some people may raise an eyebrow when they look at the progression of my career because I didn't stay at a job for 10 years or 15 years and progress that way. Mm -hmm. There were some moves that I made quickly. 
And she wanted, you know, her, one of the things she said is, David, I want to dispel the myth that that's not good for your career. I could see for some people, it might not be good based on the moves that they were making. Right. But if you really look at the moves and analyze that and make sure that it is a progression in terms of, you know, maybe it is title, maybe not, but it's responsibilities and the tools that you are gaining within your career. She said, that's a critical uh, component. And she said, so I don't like to talk about it as job moves or yeah. job hopping. To me, she phrased it as uh, stair-stepping your career. Right. And I thought that was such a good terminology to use yeah. in stair-stepping your career because when you are taking stair steps, there is a destination. You're going up the stairs to your house to a room or you're going up the stairs to your office. Um, and so it's intentional, Right. Right. Um, instead of job hopping is unintentional, it's like, oh, I'm just kind of moving around, floating, not really sure what I would like to do. So you're the second person that's brought that up. And I think that's a really good perspective because I think a lot of managers like pushback um, that we get a lot of times is, you know, we don't want job hoppers. Right. And as recruiters, we're like, okay, well, what does that mean to you? Because it means something different to everybody else. But what if I have someone that in three years, they've had two job moves? Do you consider that a job hopper? And what if these were the circumstances? So I feel like what matters a lot is the story behind the job move, right. not the job move. Right. I agree. I agree. And <clears throat> my roles moved from, you know, audit manager to controller to a director um, to a CFO role. And so... I was, was able to become a CFO because of the varied experience that I had at a relatively young age. Yeah. And, and you know, while raising kids. And I think that's another, um, you know, topic I don't mind talking about. You know, I have two kids. And when you look at some of the movement, some of that was about um, making the right choice at the time for my family. Mm. And I think sometimes as a working parent, you may have to take a little bit of a... Uh, turn or uh, step back even for a period of time, just depending on the age of your kids and, and kind of what their needs are at the time. And I don't think your career progression has to be linear. I think that, you know, you can step back a little and then come back into it. And, and really, that's what I have done. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to pause here on that too. Uh, I want to highlight one thing that if we have time, we're going to go back to, and that was that the audit partner at Grant referred you to a job after you had already left the company. And mm -hmm. that's a reputation thing. So I love to go back to that, but I really want to stay here on um, having kids and raising a family and being a working female. Um, I just got off the phone with a lady who, uh, she was um, a VP of finance for a private equity firm in California, mm -hmm. moved here for family reasons. And they wanted her to be the CFO, the previous CFO, her boss had left and they tapped her on the shoulder to be a CFO. That would require her to pull her kid out of school here, mm. move back to California where they previously lived. And they are surrounded by a family group here in California, it's just them. And she turned it down. And yeah. that's the job she always wanted is I want that CFO role. And she turned it down for her family. Yeah. And, you know, I told her, I said, you know, sometimes people say that that's easy to do. Like, oh, yeah, family always comes first, which it does. And that's an easy decision. You know, you do that, not, you know, 10 times out of 10. Right. It's not an easy decision to do to. 
I don't feel like I'm not in that role. But I don't, I, I've got to believe that that's not just, oh, yeah, it's a super flippant, easy decision. You always turn, like, the CFO role down or the, the dream job you've had for your family. That takes a lot of, uh, I don't know, just discussion in your family unit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're kind of like, am I throwing things away? And, and where is my career going to go from here? I've got to imagine that's tough. Uh, yeah, it is. It is tough. You know, I think, um, again, if you if you have a great network and you have people that you know you can call to, to sort of vouch for you or, you know, be a great reference so when you're ready to put your foot on the gas again, you can. And so while you're working, no matter what you're doing, if it's part-time, full-time, you want to give everything you can um, for the time that you're willing to give it. And I think that's, um, that's super important. Yeah. And let's be real. Um, this falls more on the female than it does the male. That's that's shifting a little bit, but yeah. I, I know for my family, you know, most my wife and I, I mean, she's worked some mostly and I've always worked and but if my girls needed something, my wife's getting the phone call first. Yeah. And I'll find out from her. Yeah. You know, but that's automatically the first thing that happens within our family. And and for me when I was a kid, my mom would get the phone call first. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's changed a little bit over the years. Yeah, I've which seen is that great. change quite a bit the last probably fifteen years. I have yeah. too. It's but it's still weighted heavier. So the responsibility, while it's a it's a husband and wife unit, and they're both responsible, and you've got a, a, a female, the mom, the wife in the situation, in in a very important role for the family. Forget about the important role to the company. It can be any role. You can be the receptionist. That's an important role for the family and the company. Mm -hmm. That responsibility is often more significant in managing and balancing the family responsibility and the work responsibility than the husband. I think it depends on the family dynamic. Yeah. But I I mean, I I think statistically, yes, that's... (laughs) I I would agree. I'm just speaking in broad, general terms. Mm -hmm. It's, It's shifting... It's shifting. But I think, um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that speaks to a lot of the decisions that you have to make in those roles. Right. You know? Right. Well, and, um, and you have to decide how much time, you know, you're willing to devote to each. It's, it's, it's tough. It's not easy. Okay. We're going to go back real quick on uh, the audit partner referred you to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd already been gone from Grant, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. For a couple of years. Why, why Why? does the audit partner refer you to that role? Um, well, she was my mentor when I left Grant. And I, as I said, I really um, made sure to keep in contact with my network. And um, they, the company, because of all the transition as they were planning to go through a take private, um, they had a lot of uh, difficult transactions ahead of them, the dispositions and acquisitions. And the accounting behind it's pretty tough. And she knew that I could do it. And so um, she called and said, I think there's a great opportunity for you to come in and help this company. I know you said you've always wanted to work for a public company. Would you Would you want me to, you know, introdu- mm-hmm. make an introduction? And mm-hmm. so that's, that's how it happened. So when you're at that level in your career, talking about the audit partner who was your mentor, mm-hmm. your name's on the line for people that you refer, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and she said, hey, I'm going to reach out to Amanda. I think she'd be great. Um, 
and that's a reputation that you had built while you were at Grant from what we talked about already, your work ethic, your ability to balance responsibilities, mm-hmm. all these things we touched on, and you're just you're building this stockpile of uh, proof of what you can accomplish in your career, not just for you, but for those around you. And I think that's so valuable to have for people. Um, When you talk about and think about a mentor, um, so I want to touch on the mentor thing real quick. When you talk about that, you know, a lot of times people think, oh yeah, the mentor, it's just a really good relationship. But people who want to grow in their career, they want mentors that are highly accountable and will push you outside of that comfort zone Mm -hmm. because the comfort zone is nice, warm, and cozy. It's under the blankets and you don't want to get out. That's right. And so if you want to be a mentor to someone or you are looking for a mentor, you're looking for someone that's not afraid to ruffle your feathers, right? Yes. I agree with that. Absolutely. And you said yesterday when we were talking, one of the things that's helped me is I am... I don't know if you said comfortable, but I know I need to be uncomfortable in my network and I'm willing to do things that might be uncomfortable and I push myself. Yeah, Um, I think, so we talked a little bit about, and I've shared this with others, I think that um, women tend to find themselves in a box sometimes, you'll sort of get invited to the women's events, but... And those are great, and I, they're needed. I think you need that network because I do think we face different issues at times. But I also think that showing up at some of the events where you're networking with the other half of the corporate community, the men, mm-hmm. uh, it's important. And so I've learned how to play golf, and I've learned I've been fly fishing and hunting and clay shooting, and you know, those are not activities that I grew up doing by any means. Um, but it helped, um, it helped me network with, you know, with everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And I'm not saying that you need to do all of those things, but, you know, maybe just show up and try something new. And I think you'll find whatever fear you may have of trying it, most of the time the people around you are not always great at it either. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certainly other people there that have never done it before and um, and are experiencing the same thing as you. And sometimes those people are the ones that you connect with the most at that event because you're sort of both there, never having tried it before, maybe both nervous. And that's a great way to connect you know, with someone. And I think that's what networking should be about, so. Yeah, that's such good advice. So when you're going to that, um, you'd said, you know, that's far from what the way I grew up. Uh, What's the internal dialogue in your head? Because the internal dialogue in my head when I go to those, and and I'm a recruiter, right? I've been doing it for a long time and go to networking events. I'm still like, okay, David, you know, you got this, you know, get out and meet people, put your big boy pants on, come on, you know, and I got (laughs) to give myself a pep talk. Yeah. Um, What is your internal dialogue? Uh, Probably I can do hard things. I have to tell myself that all the time. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Is that like a, you know... Uh, I don't too, know where I got it from. I was going to ask because <laughs> no. people use I'm the word. I'm not sure. I may have read it in a book. I don't really know. I don't know where, it could, but it's something that plays in my head, and I just remind myself of that, and that I'm okay. 
I really like that because I don't have a consistent dialogue. I, I, you know, mine is like in the moments, like whatever hits my head, I'm going to say, but having something consistent is like, that's a trigger word that your body and mind gets used to mm-hmm. and you're leaving a path of successful times you've done it. Right. Yeah. That's so that's good. Um, so pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. So you've learned to do that, but your mentor has also advised you to continue to do that. Yes. Um, and I've had, I've had several mentors along the way. Yeah. Um, so the particular mentor that we were talking about, uh, yes, I do stay in contact with her. So it's, that's been a very long uh, friendship and mentorship and appreciate it very much. Um, but I would say some of my male mentors have been some of the best as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of the CFOs that I've worked for, um, the CEO that I work for now, I mean, it's, um, I've had some really great mentors. Yeah. Um, when you think about people that work for you, I'm sure that you're trying to do the same thing for them and pushing them to go go to the CPA society event and, and go to the non-CPA and get out there and meet people who are not just a bunch of accountants in the room, but push yourself outside of that. Uh, yes, I do. Um, we, uh, so I'm also on the board of a, a nonprofit, and so I try to encourage them to get involved, um, if not with the nonprofit that I'm involved in and, and any others. I think it's, an, again, another great way to meet people who aren't necessarily accountants, but um, you know, are like-minded, and uh, you can learn a lot from from those. And so, you know, as we're setting their goals for the year, that's definitely a goal that I ask them to to keep in mind. You know, they I, they set their own goals, but I do ask them to to keep the networking piece in mind. And I've let them know how important it is to me. And any any excuse me, any introductions they want to yeah. make, you know, that's. Yeah want me to bake I'm happy to do it well I think if our audience is listening to this here I mean you started this off when you were taking us through your career a lot of the moves and a lot of the opportunities you've had have been from your networking Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure that's helped even when you're in a role let's say you were in the CFO role or you're in a director role you know going out to do the clay shoot it tightens relationships with vendors and customers and we're all looking for a way to do that. Um, that's that's a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I sat I sat on a panel yesterday um, with a few other CFOs, and one one thing that we talked about is how important in this environment our banking relationships are, and being able to go play golf or you know make sure you make time for lunch to meet with your bankers are it's really important for a CFO. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think those type of relationships are just incredibly important, built on trust and, and kind of knowing the other person. And so, you know, you want, when something tough happens, you want them to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, obviously they're going to do that for their clients that they know well. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there's an element of building your network uh, to continue progressing your career. But part of that is building your network so that, when you need something, they'll pick up the phone. Yeah, and what I, you know, going into what you just said there, um, the network has become more electronic nowadays, but 
all the things that you've pointed out have been a chance to break bread with people and be face to face and learn about their families because you're going to play 18 holes with someone and that's four, four and a half hours and you really get to know people more intimately. And so I think that networking from a face-to-face standpoint is so critical for banking relationships and just that's a human, it's important for humans. Right. Not, not mean, even business. Humans. Yeah. If you find yourself eating at your desk by yourself every day, I would, you know, encourage everyone to rethink that and at least a couple of days a week, get out and try to have lunch with someone. Yeah. I think it's um, that face-to-face interaction is really important and something certainly during COVID and post-COVID that, that we've lost a little bit. And I'm, I'm starting to see it come back and I'm glad because I think it's important. Such valuable advice. Okay, so I'm going to wrap on this question here for you. Um, number one piece of tactical advice it could be pushing yourself out of your comfort zone that we talked about, something related to that, something related to networking, something related to mentors, because you've covered so many things today. <laughs> Someone listening to what can they implement tomorrow? I think probably um, just the lunch idea is great. You know, there are a million ways to network with people. But at the end of the day, if your work product if, is not great, I think for a young person in particular, showing that you have work ethic um, is, is probably the most important thing for early career progression. And I think the networking piece comes later. But for someone that's early in their career, you know, just be really focused. Uh, when you're at work and, um, you know, exercise great work ethic and people will recognize it. You'll, yeah. You will stand out, no doubt. I love the way you put an order to that because both are important, but you ordered it, you know, early in your career, focus on this. Later on, the networking thing starts becoming more valuable. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today, Amanda. It's been great. Shout out to Rebecca Ragsdale. Rebecca uh, hooked us up with Amanda today. She has a connection with her. And on the way over here, Rebecca was like, oh, yeah, I've got golf clubs. I've been going out to the driving range. <laughs> you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get after it as well. So something I need to do, too. Thank you so much for our audience for joining us. And uh, we really hope that you... Go to lunch uh, with your employees. And if you're just two employees, even if it's outside of your department, go to lunch with them. Um, something I probably need to do as well is go to lunch with more people. I think I'm going to take that one for myself. And until next time, thank you for joining us on the Unity Talks podcast. If you're looking for the next step in your career or the missing piece for your team, Unity Search has you covered. Whether it's finance and accounting, tax services, information technology, or human resources, Unity Search is here for you with experienced and dedicated hiring professionals. Reach out today and take the next step. Unity Search, placing you first.